Jesus came to the Samaritan city named Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for the salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do not say four months more and then comes the... Do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. 
The harvest, the reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For there the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. When the Samaritan woman visited the well that morning, she was making the same trek she made every day of her life. The only source of water was Jacob's well, which was a half mile outside of her little town of Sychar, downhill on the way to the well, but uphill all the way back. Up and down that dusty trail every single day, lugging a big stone jar filled with water. She isn't expecting this day to be any different, any more than we expect great revelations to come to us at the grocery store. No, we go, we get our groceries, we bag them up, we leave, nothing there to get our attention, not even the call for the cleanup on Al 6. But this day, it's going to be different. It's like every other day, except that this time, when she goes to fill her water jar, a man is sitting there by the well, a stranger. Jesus has been drawing a lot of attention to himself in Jerusalem. He's been baptizing more people than the other religious leaders are baptizing. And so he has to lie low, and he's gotten out of Dodge with his disciples and is making a fast trek back to Galilee and has taken the shortcut through Samaria, which shortens the journey down to just three days of constant walking, and he's tired. He's probably been walking. It's probably 110 degrees outside, and the sun is just, just scorching the top of his head, and he can smell that cool, fresh water at the bottom of the well, but he cannot reach it. And then the Samaritan woman approaches with her jar, and he says, give me a drink. And she says, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? There's a lot in that question. Jewish men, especially rabbis, aren't supposed to talk to women in public. They aren't even allowed to talk to their own mothers and wives in public, much less somebody else's wife. I wonder, though, what made him stick out as not Samaritan. Was it his accent? Was it his clothes? We don't know, but she immediately knows that he is a Jew and not somebody of Samaria. And he says... If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is asking to you, saying to you, give me a drink, well, you would have asked him, and he would have given you 
living water. And she says, sir, you don't have a bucket and the well's really deep. How are you going to get this living water? I think she's teasing him. You know, Jews usually thought they were superior to Samaritans. So I'm thinking she delivers this line with a little bit of a smirk. Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and who with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. He's speaking like God speaks. Only God says stuff like that. For example, God says in Isaiah, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Again, in Isaiah, the 49th chapter, God says, They will not hunger or thirst, neither will scorching heat strike them down, for he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. And again, in the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of the water of life and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And in Revelation 21, the alpha and the omega says, to the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. But see, the Samaritan woman doesn't, read Isaiah, and Revelation won't be written for at least another 60 years, so she kind of misses the point, or maybe she's just making a joke, saying, sir, give me this water so that I may have to and the kitchen tap. In reference to living water, he's making a play on words. In the Greek, it's referring to water that's flowing rather than still. Living water is flowing water. Stilled water you do not want. Stilled water is stagnant. Living water is fresh and drinkable. But he's also literally saying living, linking it to the gift of eternal life gushing up in the believer. So Jesus, Jesus is offering this new quality of life, a life of the Spirit, a life that goes much, much deeper than Jacob's well or any modern convenience, and then he suddenly changes the subject. Go, call your husband and come back. You're like, where did that come from? Except that I think John in his story is playing on our expectations, or at least the expectations of his first century audience. You see, every time a man meets a woman, well, it's kind of the start of a romance, at least in the Old Testament. Abraham's servant found, his, uh, found Isaac's wife, Rebekah, at a well. Genesis 29, Jacob meets his future wife, Rachel, at a well at noonday. So John's first century audience is saying, oh, hey, a man's meeting a woman at a well at noon. We're going to have a betrothal. Except the woman says, I don't have a husband. And of course, then they're thinking, oh, see, see, she's available. And Jesus replies by telling her something that no outsider could know 
about her that she has had five husbands and the man she's currently living with is not her husband. And then he says, you have spoken the truth. There is no judgment there. There is no reflection on her whatsoever. You know, women were widowed a lot and they could not initiate a divorce. So if she has had five marriages, it's not her fault. And maybe it's just a glimpse into a hard and likely disappointing life. As one commentator says, she's not a blushing bride, but a wedding-weary woman. And the woman replies, sir, I see you are a prophet. She's thinking he's a prophet because he's told her things that nobody else could know. And then she enters into a theological debate with him, which never happens. Women aren't involved in theological debates. They're not considered smart enough. They're not supposed to be talking to men or men to women in the first place. She goes right into all the theological disagreements between her people and his. She is not a shrinking violet. In fact, it is the longest recorded conversation between Jesus and another human being anywhere in the Gospels. So she says, you know, well, our ancestors worship God on this mountain. It was Gerizim, which they believed was the place that God said you should worship. And they had continued to worship there after the Assyrians had invaded. And they had built a temple there, which the Jewish people had come and torn down hundred or so years ago. She says, yeah, we, we believe you should worship here, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And he said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. It's already here when people, when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. This is the beginning of the end of divisions. None of the old arguments are going to matter anymore. None of the things that separate us are going to matter anymore. What matters is life in the Spirit of God. The life that feels like a stream of water gushing up within the heart, bringing fullness and joy and fulfillment. I know that Messiah is coming, she says, and when he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. She's kind of testing the waters there because Jesus just proclaimed kind of all things to her. And the Samaritan is like the Jews anticipated the arrival of a Messiah-like figure. They called him the Tahav, and the Tahav was going to come and reveal the truth. So it makes sense that Jesus' disclosure when he says, well, you just told the truth, would prompt her to maybe ask this question about the Messiah. She shows us that faith is about dialogue, and faith is about growth and change, and it's not about having the answers. And he says, I am. It is not like where it says, I am he. We stick that he in there. Actually, he just says, I am the one speaking to you. I am. We've heard that before on another unexpected desert meeting. It's time when God first met Moses out in the wilderness at the foot of a mountain in a burning bush. And Moses was standing there, and God was giving a long speech and telling Moses how Moses, who was a runaway from Egypt with a bounty on his head, was going to go back to Egypt to set all of his people, the Israelites, free from slavery. And Moses argues this. I think we all would. And Moses says, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am 
who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That Jesus has come from God as the Son of God is the central message in the entire Gospel of John. So Jesus is identifying himself in the very words of God, I am. And this is the only time that Jesus reveals himself to another human being that way, that clearly, that truth. It's the only time. And the person he reveals himself to is a Samaritan woman. This day the kingdom has come. And Jesus has declared a new way where all people, whether they are men or women or Samaritans or Jews or outsiders or insiders, will worship God in spirit and truth and everything else that divides us will melt away. Last week, the gift that Jesus brought to us was the gift of the spirit poured into the hearts of believers. Today, Jesus is bringing us the gift of living water the spirit welling up in our hearts and souls. It gushes forth as Jesus' gift of the spirit poured into the hearts of believers and out of our hearts it flows. In John 7, on the very last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Let the one who believes in me drink. The believer is both the recipient of the water and the conduit. And then suddenly Jesus' disciples return. I picture a play. It's like on three stages. Anyway, the disciples suddenly return, and what? They're shocked to see that he's talking to a woman and a Samaritan woman. She runs off, leaving her water jar there, and goes back to tell everybody in her village. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And they all leave the city where they are and are on their way to him. This whole village of people are walking down the hill. You can see them in the background there approaching Jesus as he's talking to his disciples. And his disciples are going on and on about things like where did he get something to eat. She is the most effective evangelist in all of the Gospels. And I would argue the very first woman preacher in the New Testament. Because she goes and she witnesses to her experience of the living Christ and suddenly an entire village comes down a hillside to receive the living water. What do you thirst for? What do you thirst for? Do you thirst for meaning? Do you thirst for a fuller life? Do you thirst for an escape? from the mundanity, the drawing, the water? Do you thirst for justice or forgiveness? Whatever it is, Jesus said, whatever it is you are thirsting for, come to me, drink, and live.